what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films, podcast here on the Mesh.tv network, talking all about film reviews and film discussion. My name is Alan Jackson. I am the co-founder of the Foot Candle Film Society and the co-director of the Foot Candle Film Festival. And I'm Chris Fry, the co-to-Alan's co-director of the Foot Candle Film Society and also the co-to-his co-director of the Foot Candle Film Festival. And welcome to Foot Candle Films. During our show, as usual, what we do is we'll talk, take a couple of films and, and go through some film reviews of films we've seen recently. We'll move into some movie news, things we want to kind of get some opinions on. And then we'll finish up the show with our recommendation of a film we think is worth checking out. Um, Chris, as we're getting ready to record this, and I mean, again, I know this may date the podcast a little bit and also our location, we are on the edge of what supposedly is a big hurricane storm coming through the area. So the recommendations may actually be a little bit more critical if you have are listening and if you have power going into the weekend, but you're homebound, it's a perfect time to catch up on some movies. Yeah. So that may be what our recommendations are used for. Of course, our hopes and thoughts go out to anybody who may be negatively affected by this storm. Uh, as we're as close as we are to it, I don't think we're going to get too much in our area, but I do know some people further out to the coast are certainly hurting right now. Uh, but with that, let's move right on into our show and get into our two reviews. We have two films to talk about, Chris, and admittedly, both of them are films that uh, people may not have heard as much about because they're both relatively small films. Sure. First, we're going to be discussing the latest film from writer-director Deborah Granick. It is Leave No Trace, starring Ben Foster. And then we're going to move on to a review of Borg versus McEnroe, the tennis uh, drama depicting the relationship and uh, adversity between Beyond Borg and John McEnroe, both professional men's tennis players. And as I said, then we've go news and then we'll do our recommendations. So sound like a show you're ready to get started with? Absolutely. Great. Let's move right into our first review then, which is Leave No Trace. It's not a crime to be unhoused, but it's illegal to live on public land. We have found an option. Are we going to be okay here? Just don't think our own thoughts. Keep pedaling. Look where you want to go. School is about social skills, not just intellectual ones. I think it might be easier on us if we try to attack. We're wearing their clothes, we're in their house, we're eating their food, we're doing their work. We have adapted. Chris, in Leave No Trace, we have Ben Foster starring as a father that is, uh, along with his 13-year-old daughter, living what they consider to be a very ideal existence out in a vast urban park uh, outside of Portland, Oregon. Um, the story then takes a turn as, as a mistake is made, and they find themselves somehow trying to be assimilated into some different societal cultures and more societal norms, I guess you could say, and a little bit of the adjustments they have to make along the way from that. Uh, it is written and directed by Deborah Granick, or at least she wrote the screenplay. It's adapted by a book called uh, My Abandoned... Oh, what is the name of that book? Gosh, I just completely lost it. My Abandonment, I believe, okay. is the name of the novel it is based on. 
And uh, Deborah Granick, for those of you who may be familiar, she was the writer and director of Winter's Bone several years back. I think it's been, it had to have been at least five or six years. It was Jennifer Lawrence's first big acting role that she right. got noticed for. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. I believe Jennifer Lawrence was also nominated for Best Actress that year. So Winter's Bone, I think uh, Deborah has worked on maybe a documentary or other projects in between. This is her next big feature film, though, that right. she's put together, narrative feature film. And Chris, the thing I heard about this story or about this film uh, going into it is that uh, Deborah Granite came on board and wrote a screenplay based on the adaptation of this book. They brought on Ben Foster to be the headlining star of the film. And supposedly Ben Foster, Deborah Granick worked together to reduce 40% of the dialogue that was used in the film from that first screenplay draft to what we have now, which is a very quiet, slow, but also uh, an interesting examination of this relationship, father-daughter, and the relationship of human beings in a wider, greater societal construct. Chris, the whole reduction of dialogue. Uh, tell me how you felt that 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 helped or hurt your impression of the film. Did you need more dialogue? Did you feel like the dialogue level was good where it was? And overall, how did that lead to your satisfaction or non-satisfaction with the film? Well, you know, films like this, you mentioned kind of in your intro that it was kind of a completive, you know, you're contemplating scenery, you're contemplating their situation. It's not, you know, fast-paced, high action, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you add to that cutting out a dialogue and you could see how maybe that would really hurt the film for me though. Um, I thought the sparse dialogue was good because it's about this real tight relationship between the father and daughter and the fact that they don't often, they do talk to one another, but it is very sparse because they just know each other so well, they don't really have to communicate. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the things they do to kind of check in on one another is they make a little clicking sound kind of like a African tribesman might have done, you know, back in the day or whatever I may still do in uh, darkest Africa. I don't know, but, um, they kind of have this thing going back and forth that they kind of check in on each other and they do it a couple of times in the film. So that, that didn't bother me. I will say though, um, you're talking about them paring down the dialogue 40%. This film runs an hour and 48 minutes. I feel like, not that I was bored, but I feel like they could have also pared the running time down. Um, there are lots of pretty scenery of the Pacific Northwest and Oregon. And, but because it is a very simplistic story, you know, it's the thing we've harped on before. I know I have more like 90 minutes, you know, you know, because there's, it is a good story. I did like the movie, but it just felt like it was a little shaggy. Hmm. So what, what are your, what are your feelings? Um, I, I didn't have that same perception of the shagginess. I, I actually really, really like this film. Okay. Um, I like it better than Winter's Bone from many years back. Um, hmm. I was never the biggest fan of that film. I, I saw its its merits, and I appreciated the film for what it was, but I didn't quite walk away from it with the same admiration a lot of, a lot of people did. This film I like better. Uh, it worked better for me. I, I think I appreciated the simplicity of the story at the end of the day. Sure, and I appreciated the 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 realistic view of of humanity that we saw. Okay, uh, this was a film where you didn't really have any bad guys. You didn't have any people with ill intent. Uh, it was seemed more natural to me that there was a lot of people that were willing to help each other or try to find ways to help each other, or 
help helping them in the way they thought they needed to be helped, even in this situation, those ways didn't always work for Ben Foster's character and his daughter. Gotcha. But the intentions were all good by the people around them. Um, yes, it was slow. Yes, it, it didn't have a lot of dialogue. It didn't need it. I, sure. I didn't feel like. And honestly, I think that would have betrayed the character that Ben Foster was playing. He's not someone who wanted to talk. <laughs> he really did not have any desire to talk. This is someone that we, you learn pretty early on, is dealing with some emotions. He's dealing with some possibly past drama in his life. And, and, he's and a the, former soldier. Former soldier. Wisely, the film doesn't feel the need to go into a lot of detail and explain any of that, which is great. It I is. didn't need that. But I think if it had been a much more talkative film, that would have betrayed kind of who he was, his character in general anyway. Sure. So I, I really liked it. I thought the film was beautifully shot. Uh, I thought the acting from both Ben Foster and the lead actress, who was uh, Thomason McKenzie playing Tom, his daughter, right. um, 15-year-old daughter, was amazing. I thought she was really, really good. Well, and uh, she, had, she had a lot to carry in this film. She did. Um, where Ben Foster had to play a, a kind of past traumatized and just not able to integrate into society easily. She had to both cater to him and be his daughter and be his support at times. Um, to also wanting and desiring to sometimes be in these societies and communities and wanting to be with other people. She had to balance those emotions, the whole film. It really was her film, I think, more than his, personally. But Well, which uh, is interesting because mm-hmm. you mentioned Winner's Bone, which kind of showcased Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. This film definitely showcases Thomas and McKenzie. And I'll agree, I thought she was, you know, and for a first-time actor, when you don't really know kind of their background, we'll get to Ben Foster in a second. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't really know how to take the person, and just her being able to act without having a lot of dialogue mm-hmm. and without having big, showy, emotional scenes—you know, like the Oscar moment or something—that's pretty impressive for a young actor to make that kind of impression on on an audience. And I think she definitely had that impression on you and I. Oh, absolutely. So I, yeah, I think she's definitely a standout. Now, do I know if she'll go on to get into a, a, a series of hunger games movie or something like that, you <laughs> yeah. know, uh, who, who knows, but she definitely has, you know, the potential. She's I got think. the chops so far from absolutely. what we can tell in this first film. Yeah. Now Ben Foster, mm-hmm. um, I was really impressed with him in this because I've seen him in things like three ten to Yuma or hell or high water and I think he's a good actor, but he kind of always plays a very <laughs> intense, loud, kind of crazy guy, you know, who does like kind of like a Jack, not Jack Nicholson, but of that thing where you kind mm-hmm. of, I don't know. A loose kinda, cannon. He's yeah, a loose you hear, cannon. Yeah. You hear Ben Foster's in the movie, you're like, oh, okay, I bet he's going to play, you know, this type of role. But he's really good at it. But, you know, but yeah, in this, he's just the most subdued, <laughs> dialed down Ben Foster that I've ever seen. And it was just really cool to see him be able to play a more subtle, nuanced role. So I mean, I really thought that was neat. It's not just subtle role for Ben Foster. I mean, it's a subtle role for anybody. I mean, it True. is a very, very low key role, right? Um, he has to communicate a lot more with a, a very stoic facial expression. Um, he does. I mean, you can read his face in this film and you know, what he's wrestling with at that sure. moment. And um, so, yeah, I agree with you. I thought he was really good. And, um, I, you know, we even had a film society member at the end of a screening say, yeah, they're, they're so used to seeing him play characters that are just really like loud and big and, right. 
to see him play this complete opposite and to do it so well was really impressive. So, yeah, I, I probably had a higher opinion of this film than you did. The, the running time didn't bother me. The the I thought I thought the ending was perfect. I mean, I really do think you know there's some ways they could have chosen in this film, and I think the way they went for me per, per, personally was spot on the way they needed to end it. You, um, you're wrinkling your brow. Well, you yeah, may I, not agree. I, I, don't get me wrong. I liked this film. Without going into not you can really spoil this movie. Yeah. But um, I mentioned the clicking. Yep. Um, so that does happen, you know, various instances throughout the movie, like I said. Um, I could have, let's put it this way. There's some instances of that in the final 10 minutes of the movie. Um, I could have done the without... One of the two. The very last one that they showed. Basically, they, mm. they're, they're three. So you have the two, and then I could have used, I could have used the movie to end right there. Instead of they tacked on uh, no, I like the last. I like the last shots. So it, it, it's, it's preference. And I think that's the thing, like I was saying, I like this movie, but I just feel like in some instances, it was a little shaggier. Maybe that's what makes it an independent film and get away with having 40% less dialogue, which I do like that. But just in some instances, I mm. felt it was a little shaggy. You mentioned also the sequence of events where they kind of go from being pushed into society in some different ways. After, basically it was like after they left the farm, a Christmas tree farm, after they left there and before they got to trailer park community, mm-hmm. I felt like it was, that's where it kind of, for me, kind of slowed down. I kind of mm. felt like I knew it. it was like plot machinations happening, yeah. and it kind of was a little clumsy. Mm. Um, not bad, not bad, but it just is the difference between a great film and a good film. So those okay. those plot points for me are that kind of time kind of sagged a little bit. Mm. Yeah, so. okay. All right. Well, I, I I really don't have any any negative aspects to point out in the film. I mean, the film in general just all all the way around worked for me. I really can't pick out anything I feel like did not work for me oh, that's good. or anything. I feel like that was uh, a mistake in the film or, or something that, that just didn't contribute to the whole. So yours, it sounds like it's just, you would have liked to see a little more tidied up. Maybe some moments, some scenes didn't need to be quite as prolonged some or so much time spent issues, on. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll say too, Alan, um, interesting with Deborah Granick. I think she's someone who doesn't really care about, uh, quantity as much as she does quality because mm-hmm. I looked real quickly while you were talking Winter's Bone came out in 2010 oh, eight years ago Wow. Stray okay. Dog which was a documentary which you have seen <laughs> um, you're at least uh, according to Letterboxd you've seen it um, you gave it two and a half stars uh, <laughs> Stray came, Dog out, came out in 2014 okay. and it was about a veteran and he rode a motorcycle and he was very combative oh. Yes. The light has I just gone on, everyone. And so I now, saw it at a festival. I completely spaced on it. 2018, we have Leave No Trace. So it seems like she takes about four years in between wow, major projects. Wow, I had projects. no idea she made that documentary. Yeah, that was her. So it's interesting to see. Yeah, I didn't really I mean, And I'm glad it. that she really takes her she takes her time. So the next time we can be looking for a film will be 2022, apparently. Well, um, and I'm also surprised, too, and, and pleased that you know, you made a film that was nominated for Best Picture right. back in 2010, but you take eight years before your next feature film, uh, narrative, narrative film, film is released, sure. and it's actually, to me, just a smaller film, if not maybe a little bit smaller than Winter's Bone. I mean, I don't know. I, I 
Winter's Bone didn't have a very big budget, but this year obviously didn't either. I mean, right. so there was no desire to go bigger. There was no desire to go with a, a a bigger film, a bigger production. Right. This she kept it really, really fine tuned and small once again. So, again, for a Best Picture nominee director, this was an impressive choice to make as like their next narrative feature film. Well, you would seem by that, you would seem to think that she is making the films that she wants to make. Yeah, she's only absolutely. making one every four years. It's not like she's in the studio system and she's cranking out a new one every two years or something. She's choosing the material. She's helping, you know, adapt the screenplays. So that's really cool. And she's a woman director, which, you know, diversity in Hollywood, always a good thing. So yeah, I'm curious to see what she do would do next. So I mean, obviously, it'll be an Avengers movie. Right. <laughs> well, because we know they're going to continue to make those. Yeah, so. Might as well. Seems like they're trying to go after every big uh, up-and-coming director anyway. Right. Well, yeah, that's Leave No Trace. I mean, I don't really have a whole lot more to say about it. I, I thought it worked for me. I thought it hit the right emotional notes for me. I thought it was very, very realistic. I, I loved her use of characters, real what I'm assuming are probably some very real people. Yeah, non-professional actors. Yeah. Right. Um, but building characters from just simple shots of watching them interact with one another. Um, some of my favorite moments are just in the different communities. That they, 4-H boy? The 4-H boy is great. <laughs> the whole the 4-H scene and with the, 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 the rabbits, the, the, the bee lady in the <laughs> RV community. The RV community in general. Just awesome. the montage of people and playing music and just the warmness you got from there the eclectic, diverse group of characters. It's just great. She has a wonderful way of putting the camera, using the camera to really just highlight some really interesting, fascinating people so quickly. I mean, sure. we, there's a gentleman we see come out, and I think he's doing something on his front porch. We see him for maybe 10 seconds. But in just that 10-second shot, we have a pretty good picture of what this guy, <laughs> this is, this guy is, is and yeah. what he's probably like. And I love that about the film. So uh, those are probably my favorite moments is when it was being introduced to some of these different little subcultures that they were uh, trying to find if that was going to be their home for a while or not. So any other thoughts, comments? I mean, I, no, um, I, you know, I liked the film. Uh, I think I'm a little lower on it than you are, but um, I do like it. I think it's another good entry into Deborah Granick's career and her filmography. And I'm looking forward to seeing what she does next, but, I realize 2022 is a, a ways off. Well, I mean, I would hope she maybe knocks out a few more a little sooner. It would be nice. I'd sure. be curious to see what she does next. But uh, I thought this was a nice step in the right direction for her for her career. Well, so. and she's got a lot of good, you know, you, we said it kind of the beginning, this movie and the film will review next. You may not have heard of because yeah. it has fun under the radar, but it is definitely on a lot of critics radar. People are you know, giving a claim to this film. So might it get a recognition for writing or maybe, you know, for one of the actors? Possibly. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if the critic thinking of it comes out when uh, nominations come out for the Oscars. Well, later. and I will just say, too, this is one of those, I mean, for whatever it's worth, if you want to use this as a barometer or not, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, ah. 100%. Well, Okay. I mean, it's still 100%. It's pretty impressive. Maybe because not enough people have seen it. But well, 184 reviews. Okay. All of them positive. Wow. So well, even, even and again, this is all if you even use these as metrics. Sure. I'm not saying Rotten Tomatoes to tell you the this is a good film or not. The only metric you should use is this podcast. That's true. If Chris and Alan <laughs> say it's listen good, to what we say. But the audience score that they tabulate, meaning what percentage of audience coming out liking it, for a film like this, 87%. I think it's pretty darn good. Oh, I yeah. mean- 
this is not a film that everybody's going to come out loving because it is slower. There may be some right. perceived pacing issues. Um, it's not a terribly exciting film. It's a lot more nuanced. But to have 87% of the audience coming out and say, yeah, they really liked it, and 100% of critics giving it a review, positive review, yeah, I, I, I don't feel alone in saying <laughs> sure. I think this is a really good movie. So, Got right. you. All right. Well, that is Leave No Trace. Uh, it is playing very limited release schedule. But that also means I think it's got a pretty good shot of being online sooner than later. So I think having an opportunity to see it here in the next probably three months or so online. Uh, Now, let's move on to our second review, which is the uh, quote biopic, unquote, uh, if if a biopic can apply to to people in just a certain uh, set amount of time. Sure. This is the film Borg versus McEnroe. It's the perfect rivalry. The baseline player and the net rusher. Mr. Borg, how does it feel knowing you could make history if you win your fifth Wimbledon? No special feelings. Uh, the only thing standing between Borg and that record is you. You and Borg are as different as two people could possibly be. Is he backstage or something? Is he going like, to jump out of the cage? McEnroe is the bigger talent. But playing Borg is like being hit by a sledgehammer. The U.S. Open has wrapped up recently. Mm-hmm. And unless you were asleep or don't follow tennis at all or even don't even look at the news, then you're not aware of a little bit of controversy that happened around Serena Williams Mm -hmm. and something that happened and some aftermath of her behavior and how she acted and how people reacted, how she reacted. Um, Switch to this movie, Borg versus McEnroe about someone who is known to have had a way of acting on the court that was very outspoken. And I'm talking about Mr. John McEnroe. Um, Alan, I guess it's kind of timely in a way that we're discussing this movie. Do you feel like um, things have changed with the way people respond to how people act on the court? I know you are more of a fan of sports movies than I am. Mm-hmm. I actually can't think of a sports movie that I would <laughs> say that I like. Oh, um, like I had never seen Rudy. I have seen Hoosiers maybe once. Okay, Hoosiers um, is good. <laughs> but yeah, I don't, I just, you know, I don't really go in for sports movies. So toss this to you. How did this hold up in your sports movie arena? And then I know that you also like tennis. How do you feel like this is a reflection of two, obviously mega stars in the game? Well, there's a lot of personal connections for me with this film. Um, I grew up, I'm a huge fan of tennis next to college basketball. It's probably my next favorite sport to watch at any time. Did you wear headbands? Um, I did have a headband for a while. I, I worked on tennis courts. I swept clay courts for awesome. you know, during my teenage years. I played on the tennis teams, uh, traveled to tournament. I mean, all of that. And, uh, and, and Beyond Borg was my favorite player. I mean, really? I followed okay. Beyond Borg. I think I even had a poster in my room. Of, I mean, oh, wow. yeah, it was, yeah. I never cared for John McEnroe. Beyond Borg to me was. That's the way a tennis player. That's the kind of tennis player I wanted to be. That like, is, I want to be. That more. is all fascinating background going into this review. Oh yeah, and what they. That's fascinating. Yeah. So yeah. you know, to me, it's like the the stoic, more mysterious, more you know, I'm not going to be a real showman on the court. Just I like that. I like that. He was a very workman, workman like when it came to the tennis court. 
So I was incredibly excited to see this film because this is like right in my wheelhouse. This is like a period of time that I was really into tennis. Still am, but I was like really into it. And uh, one of my favorite players against a player that I always had some real mixed emotions about, John McEnroe. I do not like the, uh, I do believe tennis is a more civil sport and I never care for the theatrics and the uh, high emotions that some players would show like, like McEnroe. Okay. Um, don't really want to get into how it relates to the whole Serena Williams thing. Sure. Cause that's a whole nother sure. conversation I could get Absolutely, deep but into. Just commenting on, yeah. yeah, but it is interesting timing that we're watching this film with that. I wanted to watch the film now just because it was the U S open. Sure. Had no idea it was going to be, well, no one did. Right. You suggested As I'm this sitting pick. there watching the final and I'm just like, Ooh, this is interesting irony. Which wise. let me clarify the movie. We've often talked about biopics, Going from somebody's birth all the way till they die, and the pluses and minuses of that. Usually, it's better if you pick an area, a period in time. This film focuses on the time in the ni- 1980 when yeah. they went to the championship at Wimbledon. It was like okay, and it was Borg versus McEnroe for the first time. Yeah. He Borg was there for what was going to possibly be his fifth championship. Fifth championship, it's a big deal, and it was like the finals. So. Yeah. I mean, it really was a compressed time of like just a, a couple, a few weeks. Right. We're looking at in the film here. Yeah, but man, this film bored the heck out of me. <laughs> I didn't like this film. Really? Uh, it just didn't work for me. No, I, 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 uh, I put in my notes that it's, it almost seemed to me the film, the way the film was made, it was to me, it was almost a Terrence Malick wannabe hmm. trying to make a, a tennis sports film. Okay. And... Something about the formula just didn't work. Um, I didn't feel like I got, I didn't feel like there was enough investment in any of the characters. I felt like there was a little more emphasis on shots and, and pacing than there was on real development of getting to know who the characters are. Anything we saw with Borg or McEnroe, I felt like it was so surface levels things that we could have seen through any, just watching them on TV. I think we kind of got the same film. That was, it just didn't work for me. Um, yeah, I came away really, really disappointed by the film. I do have some things I liked about it quite a okay. bit. I'll mention a little bit, but I just want to give you my overall. Overall, I, I'm not big on this film. I thought it was actually a real big letdown, and I, don't, I just don't think it worked. So tell me your thoughts as someone I, coming in with no other expectations. Right. I, it's interesting. I think our opinions on these movies that we're reviewing today are going to be completely flip-flopped. Really? Yeah. Um, I like this movie. Wow. Um, okay. You're not saying that you didn't like it. You did like it, but well, you're I, just, uh, I'm, no, I'm actually not even saying no, I liked it. I, I, I didn't hate it. I just didn't, it just didn't work. It didn't yeah, work for me. Well, I guess it's, I think for me, it's a case of no expectations whatsoever. Right. And I don't watch tennis. I did when I was like mm-hmm. in middle school or so with like Andre Agassi cause he had cool hair. But other than that, I don't really, don't really follow tennis having a long time. I'd heard of these people. I knew who John McEnroe was because he was so obnoxious. Borg, all he was was an answer in a crossword puzzle for me. Um, okay. That's that's all he was. I liked this movie. I loved the cinematography. <laughs> now, I will say, which thank goodness I'm not going to be a broken record because I'm praising this more than you were, but my complaint about the last film was pacing yeah. and a little. And I think I would agree that this is one of the best shot biopics I can think of. Now, the downside is I think it loses a little bit in trying to make really beautiful shots and beautiful compositions and not really thinking about pacing. Yeah. And um, 
So that I think that's a could be a consideration. I feel like another negative could be it leans a little heavier on Bjorn Borg than it does McEnroe. Yeah, that was another. Now, here's my thinking, and who knows? You know, I'm just obviously this is my opinion. That's what a review is. But um, the director Janusz Metz is um, foreign. Okay, and I admired the film right off the bat, and that Borg talks with subtitles. He talks with subtitles almost the entire movie, unless he's talking to John McEnroe. But in general, there's a lot of subtitles in this movie. Mm-hmm. I was like, huh, that's a really interesting choice because Borg's coach, played by Stellan Skarsgård, he can speak English. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you've seen him in Pirates of the Caribbean, lots of other movies, you know, great actor. But he speaks and Borg speaks. They both subtitle back and forth. And I'm like, okay, that right there is going to limit this from being a successful, hypey sports movie because – People that go see this don't want to read a bunch of subtitles. Well, yeah, that's true. And I thought that was a not, I'm not going to say daring choice, but the fact that they cast somebody in one of the two major roles, his name is in the title of the movie, and they're like, nope, he's going to, you know, speak the native language and he's going to do that the whole time. Yeah. I was really, they I was really very impressed with easily that. could have let them speak English sure. in the film. And most pe- people would be like, oh, yeah, that seems natural. That seems fine. But you're right. right. It was very. They they made the choice to to keep it as authentic as possible and 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 I also think that had a little bit of the heavier leanings towards Borg in the in the film like you said too I mean he definitely got more screen time and more uh, and yet, story that, yeah that was behind him too, wondering so. if that's why it leaned more heavily mm, towards him because could be they were kind of shooting for more of a overseas yeah. audience as opposed to American I, audience I'll give you that I think the shots were really impressive and there's a couple I can already think of in my head that I thought were just really really wonderful shots. But yeah, like I said, I felt like there was so much emphasis on shots and cinematography and uh, giving sometimes a, a more of a dreamy state to, 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 to scenes. And uh, I didn't want that uh, out of this film. <laughs> so, you know, I like that in most films, but this was not a film I needed that. I, I needed more emphasis on story and character, and I just didn't feel like I got that. So. Well, and something a positive for me, because I can just that was my one negative basically yeah. um, was that I really feel like Shia LaBeouf and <laughs> Sever Goodnesson who yeah. plays Borg. I really feel like they were really, really well cast. Yeah, yeah. I, mm-hmm. um, I feel like both of them looked like who they were supposed to be, you know, imitating and playing. And, you know, Shia LaBeouf's persona or so you see in the media sometimes is this, you know, loud person that does all these like, you know, antics and that fit perfectly to me with McEnroe. Um, and I don't know the actor who played Borg, but just he looked like him. And then if you can believe what the movie says about how, you know, he's supposed to be this kind of like pinup guy and everybody thought he was awesome. And obviously he's a huge star cause he'd won four times in a row and he was going for his fifth. So it was just like, it really, I don't know. I felt like it really embodied. The casting was good. I will say good stuff. I thought Shia LaBeouf was amazing. Okay. I, I that's my big takeaway positive from the film is I thought the acting of the two leads was spot on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Shia LaBeouf is someone I've been very uh, not as enamored with as okay. an actor over the years, uh, as much as I think you know he he feels like he should be. This you is feel a like film. his work since Transformers has really gone downhill. <laughs> well, yeah, the less said about Transformers, the better. Agreed. Um, this is a this is the role he 
he played and he played to perfection. And I agree. Yeah. You could argue that there was some mimicking and just copying of John McEnroe. We got plenty of video footage of John McEnroe at the time. He went beyond that. This was a performance that was just really solid and just, uh, there's a scene at the end of the movie with the two leads interacting at the airport. Yep. And there's a lot of acting going on on Shia LaBeouf's side <laughs> in that scene. Oh, and yeah. it was great. Yeah. Um, that one scene at the end almost made me start to feel a little redemption for the film. Huh. Um, wow. Because the way they interacted with each other, we've just spent the last hour and a half watching these two fight and be the adversaries. And then you f- have a moment where they're actually interacting with each other in a very casual away from the competition. Right. And it was... It was an interesting scene. And well, I thought Shia LaBeouf would just nailed it. Um, I, I thought that scene was really good. Yeah. I thought he did really nail it. And I think without that scene, some of the stuff that you see, yes, this is a biopic. So we have a lot of titles. Mm-hmm. And it didn't bother me because I didn't know a lot of the stuff anyway. Yeah. So it wasn't telling me stuff I already knew. I would not have believed some of the stuff that came up in the subtitle, or not subtitles, but some of the after screens telling you about you know stuff that happened later had I not had that scene because I was like, it didn't seem like some of that stuff was possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just fascinating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so any scene with Shia LaBeouf acting and having dialogue or, or showing uh, frustration with how the situation was going. And he was very obviously jealous of all the attention that Borg was getting. And uh, any of those scenes where we got to get a little more inner insight in his, his, where he was mentally, were really, really good. Um, I wanted more of those. I understand. I needed more of that on the Borg side. Now, Borg, I get it, is a character that is a lot more stone face, a lot more he doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve. So it makes it harder in a film like this for you to really get to know that character as well. And they tried their best, I felt like, to give you some insight to his personality, but it just wasn't enough to really make it as as effective as I thought it should have been. So... Where I really felt like I needed more on the character side and on the story side, uh, and less on the how cool can we make a tennis court look, you know, in this shot. <laughs> um, it sounded like it worked for you, and I, and I do think we're coming at it from two different perspectives. I yeah. know a lot of this background story, I so know. I wanted yeah. a little more flavor. I wanted a little more of that really digging into their their characters and what was going on in their heads at the time. And I just didn't feel like I got as much as I wanted. You had no knowledge of this whole situation. So yeah. really everything you were seeing and getting was was new. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. But um, I, I will say I was disappointed, um, although I still think it's a really fascinating story to tell. Well, I thought it was a fascinating story, and it it did hold my interest. seems like a little bit better than you. Okay. And I will say, Alan, if you didn't care for this – don't bother going to see another tennis true story or catching up with it. Battle of the sexes. Um, I've seen half of it. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I haven't got around to seeing the other half. Man, I was, and I didn't know, but I like Steve Carell and I like Emma Stone. Yeah. And so I was looking forward to that and you were talking about it. And so I was like, Oh yeah. And I caught up with it and just, yeah, I was bored to death in that movie too. Uh, yeah. This one had more going for it for sure. Right. It, nothing else. It was interesting to watch. You and did look finish at this. And, one. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but man, Battle of the Sexes. I'm. 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 I, there's another tennis movies for me have been over two this year. This last couple of years, man. I, I gotta. I gotta find out what's going on. So it's that, like so. Love Thirty. 
Yeah, it's lovely. See what I did there? Oh, very I good, actually watched Chris. a little bit of tennis. Chris now. did watch a little tennis. <laughs> very nice. No, there still has not been a really good tennis sports movie hmm. that I can think of. Okay. Yeah, I can't really think of one at all. Fair enough. I mean, the the scenes in the Royal Tenenbaums with, uh, ah. you know, uh, the one of the sons playing yeah. tennis. This is about the closest I've come to like a really good tennis, <laughs> tennis moment in film, so... Fair enough. Well, that is Borg versus McEnroe. It is available online. Uh, you can get it pretty much where, anywhere you can rent digital video or DVD nowadays. Uh, it's been out for a little while. It was a 2017 film. I think uh, it was made available online a couple months ago. So, uh, you know, if you're kind of caught up in the drama of what was going on at the U.S. Open or a tennis fan, uh, sure, give it a watch and see. You know, it made the style may work for you. Uh, it didn't for me for this particular story. But Chris is much higher on it, so you know, we're at least giving a passable recommendation jointly on this. So good. All right, so that's Borg versus McEnroe, and that we followed that uh, we led up with our review of Leave No Trace. So let's go ahead and take a little break, Chris. And when we come back, we will start to hit our movie news, and we'll wrap up the show with our recommendation of the episode. Stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh TV. When you need a dose of entertainment chatter or just a good laugh, be sure to check out Chick Chat on The Mesh. It's girls talking about stuff, well, girls want to talk about. Celebrities, gossip, fads, boys, it's kind of the guilty pleasure of The Mesh Network. Here's a little taste of what you can expect. But you know what I always thought was really exciting? Is at the beginning of a new season... When the montage would change yes. and the people were like older or they had something new. Like when the- you got new Becky on Roseanne. Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> an example. Perfect example. You need to know. You can't just start shows and then new people are on there and you're thinking, what? what I needed about, the montage. What about on 90210? Okay. That 90210, it changed every season. It you know? did. And then they had the beach summer one where like. Where they the, worked at the country club. Yes. yes. You know, and the, the opening credits had them like wearing bikinis and stuff and Uh then another one would be like when they're just in that white room and on chairs that swivel around right oh (laughs) yeah 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 so it's all even Baywatch when they change lifeguards absolutely they had new people running down the beach in red bikinis but you knew they're a new lifeguard (laughs) I need to get invested in that so come have a listen to chick chat on the mesh.tv you know you want to welcome back to foot candle films here on the mesh.tv Alan and Chris here, both of us with the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival. But today we're talking movies and movie news and reviews and so on. Uh, Before we continue, though, just let me remind you, you're listening to the show on our podcast network, which is the mesh.tv. That is a website you can go to, T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV. And that's where you can find not only this podcast, but you can find several other shows that are also provided by the network. The great thing about podcasts is a, they're free B you can subscribe to them, which means you push a button, say, I want to get every new episode of this show as it comes out and is uh, automatically downloaded to my media device of choice. Uh, podcasts are great. I listen to them every morning at the gym. I listen to them in my car. I probably, Chris, I probably have an hour and a half of time Every day listening to podcasts. I thought you were so. going to say you have an hour and a half of your day where you're not listening to podcasts all the other time you are. <laughs> no, not quite that close, but I'd say between an hour and a half and two hours a day of podcast okay. time I get, which is you know pretty nice. That's, yeah. 
a lot of stuff I can listen to, and it's a great way to pass the time. Uh, you know, and it's uh, especially when I'm traveling too. I uh, I have a hard time on long drives just listening to music the whole time. If I'm really wanting to make sure I'm awake and alert and all that. That's important. Listening to podcasts is a great way to kind of stay active in your mind alert while you're driving. So I love podcasts. I'm glad we have one. And, uh, you know, if you're interested in what we're doing, you can actually go back in time and listen to all of the past episodes. They're on iTunes and I think Google Play and Stitcher Radio and all those places. So uh, check it out. And we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. And at the end of the episode, we'll tell you how you can reach out and contact us if you have any thoughts or, or comments for us. All right. So, Chris, let's move into our movie news. This is where we like to share some headlines of things going on in the movie making world, whether it's upcoming projects or things around the movie industry. Uh, I got a call, I got an item to share here in a minute, but before we do, I understand you have some breaking news update <laughs> following up from one of our past recent episodes. The Academy has said The Academy of Motion, motion Picture Pictures, Arts and Sciences okay. has said, "You know what? When we said we were going to give an Oscar for popular film in the upcoming Oscars telecast, we were just kidding. Yeah, just, just kidding. <laughs> we'll still well, at least for this year. Well, at least for this year, you know, we're ironing out the details or the specifics, what's going to qualify it. And everybody's like, uh huh. So the sure double talk there is the actual translation for those of you needing a little um, uh, media industry translation is, whoa, we got a lot more blowback on this than we expected. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we better Oops. go back to our, our offices and figure out how to make this right. So, yeah. so there will be no. Best Popular Film popular Award f- correct. at the 2019, which will be obviously commemorating 2018 uh, movies, the 2019 ceremony, which is going to be happening, I think, in February now. Right. So I none of those right. other changes. There's still going to be a sooner telecast in February. Supposedly shorter. Supposedly they're still going to have some of the awards that I typically look forward to the most, probably presented off, you know, not live. Right. And you just see in a quick recap uh, throughout the evening, which I'm really not happy about that. But at least the popular award, the one that everybody was pretty upset about, uh, is not going to happen this year. It'll be interesting to see if they... They just hope people forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> they actually never do. I don't remember us ever talking about that. No, we don't know. Yeah. Well, you know who the big loser is on this, though? Black Panther. Black Panther. I mean, there's still a chance it could be nominated for Best Picture. But, sure. you know, I'm sure when this whole Best Popular Film category was announced, the guys at Marvel were just like, hey, oh, yes. in the bag. <laughs> I mean, because it really would oh. have to be the winner for that. Sure. It made so much money. It made more money than the Avengers movie. Oh, wow. I oh, didn't yeah. Realize that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and cultural touchstone, everything else. Sure. I mean, so it would have been a shoe in for that best popular film. And now they're not going to give it. So mm. Black Panther went from possibly being the darling of the Oscar ceremony and walking away with at least one, if not more, trophies. Now you, we don't even know if they're going to be nominated for Best Picture. So mm. they're the big loser in the situation. Sure, uh, Marvel. I hope they stay afloat, you know, financially from this. <laughs> it's a tough blow. <laughs> right. right. Um, I, I want to say I'm happy that we're not doing the the most popular film, but it's still out there. I mean, they're still planning on doing it. So right. unless they completely recant and say they're not going to do it ever. Um, we already went through our whole dialogue on why we think it's a bad idea. So right. um, I still am of the camp that I feel like it's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So that's the Oscars. So let's talk about some films that hopefully are shooting for the real Best Picture film nomination, not the most popular one. Because the Toronto Film Festival just wrapped up recently, and they've got some films that played there that are going to be released in limited, maybe going to full release here in the next four to five months. So they got their kind of got their show at Toronto, and these are ones that we should be looking forward to over the next few weeks. Uh, there were a bunch of these films, but I picked out six or seven that I thought had some interesting names attached to it, especially on the directing side is okay. kind of where I'm the most focused right now on on with directors. And I'm going to take these, if it's okay with you, Chris, in kind of chronological order as far as release date. Okay, um, that works. Because, you know, there's ones all over the place, but let's talk about the ones like in the order of that they're going to be released. First up is The Old Man and the Gun. Ah. This is Robert Redford, supposedly his last film. I've he heard, has announced that he's retired. That so The Old Man and the Gun would be his last film. It is labeled as a comedy crime drama. I don't know about that. The amazing, trailers I've seen. Amazing if you could pull that off. Uh, the trailers I've seen don't look terribly funny. But maybe there is some humor there I haven't seen yet. But the director is David Lowry. Oh, yeah. Uh, a ghost story. Ghost story. And also he did um, uh, either Body Saints. Okay. Isn't that right? Did he do um, Assassination of Jesse James by the... I believe he did. I believe that was actually like one of his first first big films. Okay. Um, So, yes. Interesting. uh, I'm looking right now at his uh, director credits to make sure that we aren't missing anything interesting. He directed... uh, No, I don't think he directed... He didn't do... Jesse um, James. Jesse James, okay. No, no. I, I, I... I know why you got that confused because I think it's a very similar director. Okay. Now he did Ain't Them Body Saints. He did Peach Dragon. Oh right, the the Disney remake. Right. He did a Ghost Story, and then now the Old Man and the Gun. Robert Redford, David Lowry. It's got Sissy Spacek in it also. Okay. Uh, I think it sounds pretty interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I yeah. The one thing that does concern me is I, I do like David Lowry. I was a little lukewarm on Ghost Story, but. I admire a lot of the stuff that he does and, you know, comedy, crime caper, whatever that, that sounds interesting. But the fact that it's Robert Redford, who I think he has been talented, but you know, he's older now kind of fading and they're selling this as his kind of swan song that, mm-hmm. that concerns me that that's kind of like marketing hype and that, yeah. but we'll, we'll see. Well, it just, and just as a quick synopsis, it is based on a true story okay. uh, based on a gentleman's name, a gentleman named Fars Tucker. And he had this uh, big escape plan from San Quentin Prison at the age of 70 that led him to an unprecedented spring, uh, string of heist uh, that confounded authorities and enchanted the public. Hmm. So I think it sounds like a really it could be a really showy role for Redford. It could be a great one to go out on uh, for his career. And I think he paired up with a really interesting director to do it as well. So, right. um, uh, yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to this. This could be a good film society choice for our group here in the future as well. Um, So next, that's September 28th, by the way. So it comes out in limited release in big cities here at the end of September. Okay. Uh, Next up is A Star is Born. This is the one, uh, Lady Gaga. Gaga. That's right. right. And it's a remake of a film that I think has been done three times already before, if I I remember correctly. I knew Streisand and Christofferson did it. Did somebody do it before them as well? Maybe it's been done two other times oh, okay. um it's at least been done twice okay so this is either the third or fourth iteration of this film this story what i'm more interested in is the fact that bradley cooper is the co-star and he's also the director 
and he helped write the screenplay. Interesting. So that's what probably got my piqued my interest more than anything. You know, a, a retelling of the Stars Born. Okay, fine. I've, I've never seen it. I know the no. the idea behind it, but I've never actually. I've seen, seen the, the Chris Christopherson Barbara oh, Stars. Oh, you have. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's good. I, it's a great kind of music, you know, music based love story, and had some nice elements to it. Uh, Lady Gaga, I think, is intriguing as an actress, although. The things I've seen her do, which has mainly been on, you know, American uh, horror uh, story. Yeah, American horror story. I know she had a part one season. Uh, that's about probably it for her. What I've seen, uh, I'm not as interested in her in the film. I'm more interested in seeing Bradley Cooper as a director hmm. and just seeing what. Yeah, you know, I'm always curious when you have a, an interesting actor trying to pull off a director role. Sure, how that goes. So, Bradley Cooper, director and co-writer of the screenplay. Lady Gaga, I think her first real big like acting in a big movie. Okay, um, you and she won't interest? be wearing a bunch of crazy costumes. No, it does <laughs> not appear, the trailer from the trailer. It does not appear so. Any interest on your behalf? You know, I watched a documentary, Lady Gaga, five foot eight or something like that. I can't remember the name of it, but um, it was on Netflix, and it wasn't a bad documentary, and it really made me think more about her as kind of. I don't know. It just it was it made her into a really interesting figure, an okay. interesting person. Um, and I heard a lot more of her music because I was watching that documentary. You know, the lady can sing. She's talented, no doubt about it. So, um, but just because this is a remake and I've never seen the originals, I'm not that. In, but like you say, the things that you're interested, Bradley Cooper's first movie. I will probably see it just because I, you know, people are going to say it's good. I don't think it's going to be, I doubt it's going to be terrible. Okay. Um, so I'll probably at some point see it. <laughs> that's not a, that's a great terrible. poster. That's a great poster quote. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Pretty sure this isn't going to be terrible. terrible. <laughs> <laughs> right. I do like, and I do like Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah, see, I do too. I like Bradley yeah. Cooper a lot. So acting and directing, eh, I'm curious to see how that pulls off. Uh, that's October 4th. So okay. coming out soon, that will probably have a much wider release than, oh, yeah. than Old Man and the Gun. Uh, then we have uh, Damien Chazelle, uh, Chazelle uh, with First Man. This is one I will go ahead and say on record I'm very, very curious about. Uh, it is the look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong, mm-hmm. uh, who is Ryan Gosling in the film. So this is now the second Ryan gosling Damien Chazelle partnership there's been after la la land yeah damien's the director of la la land before that he was the director of whiplash yep um both heavily music influenced films now we seem to be taking kind of a turn and this is a biopic but the trailer seems to think that there's a little more visually going on than just a standard biopic which i'm curious about right um early reviews have been really positive on this uh there's always already and just a little bit of controversy about the film. Have you heard about this? I that heard the there was controversy, that, but I didn't know what it was. <laughs> it's basically that uh, supposedly there is not a featured scene of Neil Armstrong putting the American flag on the moon. And some people are upset that that scene is not in there because that's such a supposedly important part of the story. Hmm. Um, anyway, I'll just let that, I'll just let that sit out there on the table for, for wherever okay. that may go for anybody listening. So that's sitting on the table as well as Serena Williams at USA. There's a lot of those hot topics. Sitting, I'm just sitting not even going to get into. I'm not going to okay. dig any deeper on those. That's fine. Everybody at home, uh, fix yourself a pot of coffee, gather around the family and have a Talk conversation about, about it. Okay. Gotcha. Fair enough. <laughs> um, 
So, but first, man, the trailer, I think, looks really interesting. It looks like a completely different style of film than Whiplash or La La Land. Um, even the cinematography seems to be, I don't know, it's, it's a grainier cinematography. It's got a little more of a, uh, I, I don't know, I have a hard time describing it, but it just looks interesting to me. So, okay. very curious about this. Have not watched the trailer. Don't plan to watch the trailer. But I am interested in this because I want to see what... Somebody whose previous two films all were like tied into music, and this is this is not technically his previous three films because he had his first film was like a shorter film, oh, right. um, and Guy, it was also very musically right. based as well. Guy and Madeline on a park bench, right? right. Which I've actually seen. So, so. this is a true diversion, uh, right. as far as what we can tell. You know, I just remember over the years when we when Wes Anderson was kind of uh, about the time. Uh, uh, um, um, Darjeeling Darjeeling Limited and then followed up with Moonrise Kingdom which we liked but we were both kind of saying yeah we just we'd love to see him do something really different I'm g- kind of glad he didn't because his next few films are some of my favorites of his but with Chazelle I'm like or Chazelle I'm like yeah I, I really want to see him do something different and mm-hmm. see what he can pull off and this sounds like a perfect candidate for that so Great. All right, so that's First Man. That comes out October 11th. Now, one that is already getting a lot of buzz, too, that I'm very curious about is the film Widows. Mm. This is a uh, set in contemporary Chicago. Four women with nothing in common except debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands and conspire to forge a future on their own terms. That's per the IMDb summary. Uh, the thing that makes this interesting is it is uh, directed by Steve McQueen. Gotcha. Steve McQueen of 12 Years a Slave. Right. Uh, shame before that with uh, who's Fassbender. That? Michael Fassbender. And then also I think uh, he did, what was the film he Hunger. did with Fassbender? Hunger. Even before that. So uh, this is supposedly a big, uh, big, big starring role for Viola Davis. We also have Michelle Rodriguez and Elizabeth Dubicki. Uh, as I think three of the the, the the widows, the widows. Sure, this looks interesting. I love the fact that Steve McQueen seems to be going in like completely different directions with every film he it's makes. Not a period piece. This one's not. Does not appear to be. No. Um, very very unique films. Each of the four films he's making. So this one's gotten a lot of positive buzz, and I'm anxious to see it myself. Okay. You got any? You, yeah, I'm interested to see it. Absolutely. We were in general. We were we were high on Twelve Years a Slave. We were. Um, I honestly have not seen his previous two films. I, I haven't either. Yeah. So, so this will be a, really just the second film of Steve McQueen, but I'm curious because I know enough about his previous films to know they're all very different in their subject matter and style. And I'm anxious to see what he does with this one. So that's Widows coming out November 16th. Then we have uh, The Front Runner. This is starring Hugh Jackman playing American Senator Gary Hart. Uh-huh. During his presidential campaign back in 1988, as you may recall, uh, Senator Hart was caught up in a big scandalous love affair, which derailed his presidential ambitions. So this film is all about that okay. happening. Uh, Hugh Jackman starring as uh, Gary Hart. And again, the reason I bring this up more on my list is more for the director and it's Jason Reitman. Oh, okay. We just reviewed Tully uh, a few months ago on this show. 
uh, both of us really liking the film yeah, Tully. Absolutely. I had generally really liked Jason Reitman's films. I really liked Juno when it came out. Maybe it doesn't stand up as well over time, but at the time it was a really good film. Up in the Air, a really good film. Mm-hmm. He had a couple mis- missteps we talked about, I think, during our review of Tully. He had a, a couple films that did not work as well. I think uh, Labor Day was the one I believe you brought up oh, that yeah. just didn't work that no, he did. No. And then he did another one with Adam Sandler that also was not well received. But he rebounded, I think, nicely with Tully. So I'm very anxious to see how the front runner looks uh, when it's released. And it's coming out November 21st. Okay. okay. Uh, also starring Vera uh, Farmiga, who was also in Up in the Air. So Got you. kind right. of uh, bringing her back. Uh, another one I've got to bring up, and this is If Beale Street Could Talk. This is coming out November 30th. Now, is that a documentary or no? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah, it's a, a woman in Harlem desperately scrambles to prove her fiancé innocent of a crime while carrying her first child. Oh. The reason I'm bringing it up is Barry Jenkins okay. is the director. He was the director of Moonlight, right. which won. It did win, right? I mean, I know there's a confusion, but it, it, it did end up <laughs> it winning did Best Picture. Up yeah. Uh, Best Picture for Moonlight. This is his follow-up to Moonlight. So Stephen James is the lead star, Regina King, hmm. Kiki Lane. Um, looks looks really good. Okay. Um, and again, mainly because it's Barry Jenkins, and as much as I like Moonlight, I'm ready to see this film and want to see if he can continue what he was doing with that film too. Sure. Um, that is coming out November 30th. And then the last one I'm going to mention is Roma. By your favorite director, Chris Fry, uh, Mr. Alfonso Cuaron is well, directing it. The only, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Anara too, because I've heard of the movie, but I forgot which one of them did it. Cuaron, I mean, I, I do like. Oh, no, no, you like Cuaron. You yeah, don't like Anara too. You don't like. I'm sorry. My bad. You're right. You're right. <laughs> no, uh, um, you know, if we're talking about Alfonso Cuaron, in my mind, he did the best Harry Potter film with yeah, uh, Prisoner of Azkaban. Agreed. Children of Men, Gravity, and Gravity. now we have Roma. I know you didn't care for Gravity as yeah. much. I, I liked it. Um, but Roma is the film we have coming out December 14th. It's a story that chronicles a year in the life of a middle-class family in Mexico City in the early 1970s. Now, um, if you'd stopped right there and just read that plot description, I didn't know that Quran was doing it. I'd have been like, okay. Yeah. Like, doesn't really... But knowing his visual eye with the camera and how he likes to do things, I think it sounds like it could be pretty interesting. Well, it's all shot in black and white, which oh, is also interesting, okay. too. Okay, I had not yeah. heard that. And again, it's gotten a lot of positive buzz as well. So uh, not a lot more to say about that because I, there's not a lot more information. It's not an unknown uh, cast. It's all Mexican actors and actresses. Okay. Um, but I'm really curious because it is Quran. And yeah, my apologies. I got our our, our, our Mexican directors kind of confused there for a little bit. But um, uh, but Roma is coming out December fourteenth, and that's uh, he's writer and director of that star uh, of that film. Okay. So that's the seven films I kind of wanted to highlight. There were a lot more that showed at Toronto, but those are the seven I think coming out in the next three to four months. Most all of them by directors. I think I'm really curious to see what they're doing next, and sound like some really interesting projects. Yeah. Chris, was there any other projects uh, that we wouldn't kind of call out? There was one other item of news that I was going to bring up. Uh, It is a film that is coming out. And is it a film or is it a Netflix series? Well, apparently it's going to be both. Okay. Uh, (laughs) 
I've mentioned the director, and I've mentioned this project before, but it's the Ballad of Buster Scruggs by the Coen Brothers. Coen Brothers. So what they've done, apparently, is the running time of the film is like 132 minutes, and so it's, you know, over two hours. But originally, it was going to be like a six-part miniseries That's on what Netflix. I thought. And I think they're still going to release it that way, but it's also going to have a run in theaters. Um, huh. The trailer is out. I think looks awesome. The titular okay. uh, person, Mr. Buster Scruggs, is played by Tim Blake Nelson. Right. And it looks like... It looks like a little bit of a comedy. Yeah, it just it looks it looks like a comedy. It looks kind of like a Oh Brother Where Art Thou, except it's in the West. Okay. And except it's going to be episodic. And I could see how if you take it kind of pulp fiction style, they're weaving those episodes together and they're just making it. You can see it as a movie in theaters, or you could see it on Netflix. Um, hmm. Not sure of the release date, but I think it is supposed to be this year. Um, that could be a quick Google search away, I guess. But. Um, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I'm highly interested. And the cast, you know, you see a lot of shot. The trailer looks amazing. You see a lot of people in the um, trailer that you also recognize. It just looks really good. So it's, it has a November 16th release date. Excellent. Yep. And it, as far as IMD, IMDb is concerned, it's a movie. It's okay. a two-hour and 12-minute movie. Okay. And it's actually got it listed as the longest uh, film ever directed by the Coen brothers. Huh. Because I think their, their films are generally... Shorter. I think they do. I think more are. in the 90 minute range uh, mm. in general. So this is their longest film they've ever done. And uh, yeah, it seems like it's kind of being pitched now as truly just a movie. Okay. So very interesting. Can't wait. But it is a Netflix movie. So uh, it looks like uh, it'll be in select theaters and on Netflix in mid November. You know, I wonder if it was something where Netflix just threw a ridiculous amount of cash at the Coens and were like, make us make us a series and they're like okay you know and then they kind of made it and then they're like well we could technically squeeze this into a movie why don't we do that so we can get you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i think that was the thing they weren't they weren't being held in by how long their movie was going to be and mm-hmm. so or how long their stuff was going to be and they just somehow managed to do both but yeah it'll be it'll be interesting last year i think netflix got their first oscar with mm-hmm. icarus right um, and they got nominations uh, for Mudbound. That's true. They did get nominations for Mudbound. Yeah. Would be amazing if uh, they, I don't think they're, I don't, I mean, I doubt, <laughs> I haven't not seen it, Ballad of Buster Scruggs is going to win mm-hmm. an Oscar, but it would just, you know, I wonder how, how far off that is for them. I don't think it's very far off at all. Really? I mean, I, I really think we're getting to a point in the next couple of years where anything that comes out on Netflix is... Fair game. Fair game at the same level as any theatrical film. Interesting. They're going to have to realize at some point that they, they can't limit a film's acclaim and opportunity to win awards simply based on the distribution model. Um, there's just too much good content coming out in different platforms right now that it'll be at a point where it's going to be a jarring omission if you don't nominate a Best Picture from a film that it, just because it premiered on Netflix and stayed on Netflix, everybody in the world saw and loved and thought it was just the best movie <laughs> ever made. And it not to get the nominations just because of the distribution is going to be, I think really hard for people to understand. So they're going to come to terms with that at some point soon. They're not there yet, but forcing the whole dis- theatrical release to be able to qualify. But I feel like that, that rules days are numbered. So Okay, so that's our news. A lot of interesting films coming up. We're kind of easing into our 
a really great season of the year as far as I'm concerned. I mean, in, in terms of films, you kind of have your two seasons. You got your summer movie, big blockbuster season, and then you got your late fall, winter, kind of going for some awards, uh, going for some Oscar gold type of films. And this, these seven or eight films here are really the ones I think that we're going to be keeping our eye on going forward as well. All right, so Chris, let's wrap up the show with our recommendations. This is where at the end of our episode, we always like to end with one recommendation from each of us of a film that we feel like is worth revisiting. Uh, maybe a film that you've never heard of. Maybe it's a film you've heard a lot of and just haven't seen in a while and we think is worth a, a revisit. Uh, again, if you're homebound for the next few days or just trying to stay safe, uh, hopefully these are some ones that maybe get you through some long hours there. Um, Chris, why don't you start us off? What what film do you want to recommend for us? Well, tying in with one of the movies that we reviewed that was a sports movie, um, something that I watch almost as infrequently as sports movies would be sports documentaries. Okay. Uh, this had been in my Netflix queue probably since right after it had won the Oscar um, for best documentary that year. And I was just like, oh, I guess I should check that out at some point. Never did. But – Taking one for the team, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch it because, you know, maybe it'll be good enough that I can recommend it on the podcast this week. Sure enough, it is good. It's called Undefeated. It's uh, 2011. Uh, yes. It's about a football team in Memphis. And, you know, it's a underprivileged or kids in an underprivileged area at a school that's not really doing well. The team is like the one everybody rags on and gets dogged every year and trashed. And it's about, you know, focuses on the coach of the team, uh, Bill Courtney, and kind of a little bit of his background tells a little bit, but just in it focuses on three different players. So it's not a formula you haven't seen before in like a, a documentary, but it was really good. I really liked it. I was surprised at um, how much I liked it. So mm. undefeated, it's PG-13. It's it's really good, and you know, I guess the Academy thought so too because they gave it an Oscar for best documentary. So, that's my recommendation for this episode. Okay, very cool. That's awesome. So, my recommendation. Um, mm. <laughs> oh, this doesn't sound like a recommendation. Well, no, like an it, it is. It, it, it's more of a timely recommendation. Okay. And I'm going to steer clear of another hot button topic that could be on your dining dining room table to talk about okay. around, the, around the family. Um, not get into the politics of all this, but I do think it's a timely film to see nowadays. <laughs> it's one you, you gave a short review on, I think, uh, early, early in the year, maybe late last year. And it was the Steven Spielberg film, The Post. I finally had a chance to kind of catch up with it. Okay. And my desire to want to catch up with it was driven by, huh, this is a film about some reporters who decide whether or not to publish some information about a president. And it's the Washington Post, who happens to be a lot more in the news these days than maybe they have been in quite a while. So it was more of a, huh, this is an interesting timing of the film to make this film and release this film late in 2017. And here it is, late 2018, and I finally get a chance to catch up with it. I gave it three out of five stars on my rating because I don't think it's a great movie. Okay, um, I think it does what it needs to do. It's a very functional telling of this story. Uh, it's again, it's the newspaper that you have your, your the country's first female newspaper publisher, played by Meryl Streep, and you've got an editor played by Tom Hanks, and it's really just the whole movie is all about we have this information. Can we go to press with this information? Do we feel like we can justify the risk that may be involved 
if we release this information. Right. So it's, um, again, it's an interesting film to watch nowadays with kind of more of the news climate that we're, that we're finding ourselves in, no matter what side of any kind of political spectrum you're on. It's just fascinating to know uh, what we've seen in the past and maybe what that has as a harbinger of where, where things may go. I will say, I think acting wise, the film was really good. It was a strong acted film. Um, I just wish there was more to the film. I felt like at the end of the day, it was a very, even though it was dealing with such a heavy topic, it was a light film. There wasn't a lot to it. <laughs> I mean, it was basically, okay, we just got this information and now we have to discuss and debate for an hour and a half of what we're going to do about it. And then we do something about it. And then this is the end of the film. So I wish it had a little more going for it. I wish there was more than just watching people run up and down the hallways of a newspaper building. <laughs> but I do think the timing and just the relevance sure. of it is worth checking out. So, um, I can see why this got some acclaim, some level of acclaim at the end of last year. It didn't work as well for me personally, but uh, hey, it's always fun to see David Cross and Bob Odenkirk you know, right. together in the together same film. Again. That's pretty wild. Uh, Bradley Whitford, I think, is always good. Allison Brie, I really like. Jesse Plemons. I mean, he has some great actors putting in some good performances here. So uh, if nothing else, it's fun to watch the film and be like, oh, look, it's that guy. Oh, oh, and I really like that girl. So <laughs> and seeing who they're playing like as real life characters. So anyway, that's The Post, directed by Steven Spielberg from 2017. I've heard of him. Yeah, Mr. Spielberg. He's uh, he's one to keep an eye on. So um, he made that movie The Meg, didn't he? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, not quite the same. So no. I did see the Meg though. As did I. I didn't think it was that bad. Mm. I mean, it was bad. Okay. But <laughs> it came out. I actually came out kind of having a, a fun time in the last, last half of it. I had a time. Yeah. <laughs> I liked it a little better than Chris. So okay. uh, I didn't like it, but I would say I, I at least chuckled and kind of enjoyed my popcorn in the last 20, 30 minutes of the film. So, <laughs> Okay. Had to just squeeze that in. We talked about a lot of independent films, Chris, so I kind of had to squeeze in in just a little Meg reference uh, to to cap off the show. All right, so that is our show. We gave some great recommendations there. Uh, Undefeated, a film from Chris, the documentary he recommended, and then I recommended The Post by Steven Spielberg. Uh, We went through and did our reviews of Leave No Trace, and we also reviewed the film Borg versus McEnroe. We went through a lot of films that came out of Toronto Film Festival that are going to be uh, coming to independent and hopefully multiplexes in the next few months. Um, And then we gave our recommendations. So good full episode. Happy with our outcome. And I guess it's time to wrap it up then. So, Chris, if, if somebody wants to reach out and talk to us about their love for the Meg, let's say they really enjoyed that film as well. Or just to talk about any of the other films we discussed or news that they're aware of, how how can they best do that? Best way to do that is send us an email at info at themesh.tv and just mention for candle films in the subject line and they'll funnel it to us and uh, we'll get to hear from you that way. Alan mentioned that we have quite the catalog of podcasts that are available at themesh.tv as well as in iTunes and other places. If you happen to go through iTunes, we wouldn't be opposed to you throwing a star rating our way or writing a review because that helps us reach more listeners and we appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, as we alluded to at the very beginning of the episode during our introductions, we both are 
co-directors of a film festival. That is now, true. by the time you listen to this episode, it may already be film festival time or maybe slightly past, but in the, in, in the chance that you're listening to this pretty quickly after we release it, you still got time to get tickets and to come see uh, some of the films at our festival. That is September 28th through the 30th, 2018, all being held in Hickory, North Carolina. That is in the foothills of North Carolina, about an hour outside of Charlotte. And we have a facility where we show 37 films during a three-day festival weekend. We have some great ones coming in. We're really excited. Several of the filmmakers will be in attendance to talk with the crowd and answer questions after each film screening. And we have a great opening night kickoff event with all the short films we, we showcase in, a, in an evening. And then we close out the festival with a dinner ceremony and awards presentation. Also, very exciting, we'll be giving out the very first Foot Candle Filmmaker Grants at our festival this year. This is a program where we had some filmmakers with some upcoming projects uh, that are at least half-based or production-wise out of North Carolina. Uh, They uh, submitted applications. We had a committee review and whittle it down to our recipients, and we will be giving them their grant money and letting them talk about their projects at the upcoming festival award ceremony that closes us out that weekend so it's gonna be a full full fun weekend tell you what listeners as a bonus if you do come to the festival i have now done my work on imdb and i know the director of the assassination of jesse james by the Cowboy ford and it is indeed not (laughs) david lowry uh he also directed killing them softly which is an interesting film that i've also seen if you email us the director's name and you come to the film festival, we'll give you a free shirt. Ooh, okay. a free t-shirt? First person who does that, first person who emails in the correct director's name of Assassination of Jesse James by the It has Robert to come Ford. to the festival. And yeah, so A, first thing is, you got to email us in the correct name. So okay. we'll say, okay, cool, come up, and then we'll make the arrangements then, and then you come to the festival, and you'll get a free shirt. So, so that's what we're willing to do. So they have to write in the name of the director. Correct. Of the assassination of Jesse James by the uh, by the coward Robert Ford. Robert Ford. <laughs> yes, and then if they get it correct, they come we'll to the say. festival. Right, first person to do that, you know, you got to come to the festival to get your your correct. T-shirt. Correct. Oh, I see how it works. We're not yeah. going to pay for postage. <laughs> oh no, that's true. We are on a tight budget. <laughs> that's right. Uh, these are really cool T-shirts. They're nice green color with our festival logo on the front. So uh, yeah, it's it's worth it. <laughs> It's worth doing a Google search right. and sending an email. <laughs> but you do have to be the first person to do it. All so. right. So first person to do that after this show is published, uh, it's on. I, I love it. We and so there again, just out. info at the mesh.tv would be where you send it. Info them. at the mesh, T-H-E-M-E-S-H dot TV is where you want to send your email. And again, we'll take the first person uh, that gets the director right. And then we'll expect to see you at the uh, festival where we can give you your T-shirt. And if, in general, even if you don't feel like competing, uh, if you come to the festival, if you're going to be at the festival, drop us a note. Let us know. We want to make sure we have a chance to come up and say hi uh, to anybody uh, traveling in or visiting with us as any of our listeners. So, Okay. I think that wraps it up for today, Chris. We're going to go ahead and close out the show. We will be back next time with some more movie reviews, movie news, and recommendations. See you in the ticket line or hopefully at the festival. With a t-shirt.
Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.